0: Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you board a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Deb Fitzpatrick is the author of Novels for Adults, Young Children and Young Adults. Her books have been named Notable Books by the Children's Book Council of Australia, shortlisted in the West Australian Young Readers Book Awards, published in the US and optioned for film. Deb loves using stories from real life in her novels and regularly teaches creative writing at schools. Deb has a Master of Arts Creative Writing from the University of Western Australia, and is married with two teenage children, a Kelpie and a free-ranging guinea pig. Incredible bio, Deb. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jo. It's great to be here. How did you come to be in writing and publishing and achieve all you've achieved? Well, I mean, I
1: I don't think I've achieved a great deal, really. I sort of am constantly telling myself that I should have written more books by now and that sort of thing. But I think like a lot of your writers who you've been interviewing on the podcast, I started... Thinking about writing when I was a, a young primary school student, when I and when I was just falling in love with books and reading, and I never ever thought that I would be a writer. It wasn't something that I that I thought I'm going to be a writer one day. In fact, I think I actively believed that that could never happen to me. That that wasn't something I could you know achieve. Um, but I certainly fell in love with the world of books, and I saw myself as being involved in books one way or another. So I thought that I might be a librarian or someone in the world of publishing, like I thought that I'd be quite interested in um, editing and I did end up and I do work quite a lot in freelance editing so that that has indeed come true. But um, in terms of my own writing, you know, I was encouraged by a couple of teachers both in primary school and then in high school. And then at university, I was encouraged by university teachers. And those encouragements meant a lot to me. And they really gave me the courage to um, have a go. And once I started to have a go, I realized that my writing was being taken reasonably seriously, which frankly was a surprise and so I started to think more seriously about myself as a writer. And, you know, it just flowed on from there. I, I submitted a few stories to competitions and then I wrote my first novel and submitted those things, uh, or the novel indeed, to publishing houses and got, you know, lots of rejections and lots of encouragement. And, and the rest, just I suppose, is history.
0: Wonderful. Thank goodness for all those encouraging teachers so that we have your books today. So, yeah. Do you find yeah. that you, you're you sort of giving back in that manner now, how you teach creative writing to other kids? You're, you're kind of encouraging them on. Uh, that's a really nice pick up. Absolutely.
1: And that's really one of the things that I most enjoy about my teaching gigs is that I get to be a person in the room with those young people, encouraging them to, you know, grab on to the skill that they might have and if they have that passion, um, to have a go, have a crack. And, yes, it's hard work and, yes, it takes grit and determination and persistence, but it's also a really, really wonderful world to be part of if you really are keen on on, on trying to go for that. So I absolutely, motivating young writers is something that I really enjoy doing.
0: That's great. Yeah, I love that. So you, you're you currently published for, uh, with your children's fiction with Fremantle Press. How have you found the Fremantle Press team? And for each of your books, has the process been much the same, the back and forth and the publication? Or is it varied from book to book?
1: Look, I think it's different from book to book. You know, the first book that you get published is a completely new experience. The whole thing is just amazing and exciting you know, the other thing is, is that some of my books, um, you know, most of my books are for young adults or children. And I have had one book published for adults. So those two experiences were completely different. I worked with a different publisher, the process was different because people work differently. So in many ways, it has felt like every book has been a different experience. Having said that, the team at Freer Press have just been wonderful. I mean, talk about encouraging and helping me understand the process, especially in those early days when I really didn't know how a book publication um, occurred, you know, the different stages. And, you know, they took me through the editing phase the pre-publication phase, all the proofreading, the choosing of the covers, um, the writing of the back cover blurb and all of that stuff, I found it fascinating and exciting and I really liked all of that business side of publishing a book, which kind of surprised me. So uh, the whole experience for me has been nothing other than really um, positive. And even those difficult conversations that you have with your editor they are really positive because you know that the editor is there working on your book in order to make it as good as it can be. And so even when you're trying to figure out how to solve a problem with the writing, it's actually a really wonderful um, sort of process because it's all for the greater good, you know, and it's, it's for your personal benefit because your book will be better for having had the conversation, no matter what the outcome is with the editing itself. Mm-hmm. So I have had a really great experience with Freo Press. You know, without them, you know, I may not have actually had books published. Um, so very pleased to be involved there.
0: That's great. And as one editor to another at Free, or was it a bit, you know, a dif- difference of opinion or or not really? It was it was a learning no. experience? No,
1: I think that helped in a way because i because I'd been involved in editing before, I think i I brought some kind of prior knowledge to the table, and it meant I feel that it meant that i was more open-minded or at least reasonably open-minded to any discussions that took place. I mean, look, there were certainly, there have been certainly some discussions that were harder than others and some where I didn't agree, but that's actually part of the process. That is completely normal.
0: So, you know, yeah, there wasn't a conflict there. It actually kind of worked really well. That's great. And obviously Fremantle Press is a traditional publishing house. Have you ever considered independently publishing any of your works maybe in the future? So, well, look, I mean, Joe, I I you and I've chatted about
1: this in the past and I admit I don't know a great deal about independent pub- publishing, but what I do know is it involves a lot of energy on the part of the writer because of how you have to actually market and distribute the books yourself as well as write them. And to be honest, as I've said to you before, I don't know that I've got, I don't know if I've got the energy to do all the jobs involved with getting a book published and distributed and sold. I don't know that I've got all those skills. So I would say that I probably am in the camp of it's unlikely that I will self-publish or publish independently At this stage, that's what I'm going to say in 2021. (laughs) Okay,
0: call to me again in another five years, and I might be changing my mind. Yeah, never say never. Uh, so as a, obviously you write for adults also, uh, but as a children's author, it's kind of a unwritten rule and expected that you'll go into schools for school visits and meet the children and talk about your books and things like that. So, you know, can you tell us about your first ever school visit and, you know, how, how that visit has kind of looks different from today's visits, uh, you know, during a global pandemic? Okay, well, uh, interestingly,
1: Joe, I can't tell you about my first ever school (laughs) visit. I think I've blanked it out. Um, I can't even remember where it was or who it was with. Um, but I can assure you that I would have been unbelievably nervous. And as a result, I don't even know where that first school visit was, but I can remember some of my early ones and and nerves were a really big feature of, of those events. And in order to counter the nerves, I took Uh, on the habit of becoming incredibly well prepared for those um, presentations and I found that being prepared sort of ameliorated that those nerves because if I was prepared then the nerves weren't an issue because I knew what I was going to deliver and secondly I began to realize through the experience of speaking to kids that I that a lot of my job was to engage them from me as a person So, to use my personality to connect with them and then to use that connection to then hold their attention and share with them some of the things that I wanted to share. So, I kind of used a couple of elements there to get myself through. Um, Having said that, I do also remember with some of those early presentations and even now when I present new information... I will always tweak uh, my presentations after the first time I've given them because they're never right. They're never perfect. You're doing them standing up. You've got the kids there in front of you. You're noticing as you're talking that some things are working well and some things may be missing the mark a bit. Maybe your pitch isn't right, too high, too low. And there's a certain amount of that that you can adjust on the go. But I will then almost always at the end of my session... Uh, adjust my PowerPoint presentation so that the next time I deliver that presentation it's already dealt with that I don't have to manage that particular issue so again that's about being organized and that's just a little bit comes from who I am I guess I'm a little bit I don't know what would one say a little bit anal in
0: that sense (laughs) well it's working in your favor obviously (laughs) So how obviously just thinking about the school visits and then when you go in and you're looking for that connection with the kids, I take it it's quite easy to judge whether they're engaged or not, if they're sort of just looking at you or responding rather than, you know, looking out the window or picking their nose or, you know, is that how you judge if, if it's something's hitting the mark or not? Yeah, look,
1: absolutely. And kids, you know, kids are so honest and I love that about them. So kids will just start lying down, putting their heads on the desk if it's not working for them or if they're just disengaged. And you know what, Joe, the fact is, the truth is that in any group of kids, you will probably get one or two who are like that for various reasons. And often they're nothing to do with you, the presenter, and everything to do with stuff that's going on for them. So to an extent, you have to be able to just realize you know this isn't about me necessarily this is probably about them but if you've got half the class lolling about lying down head on arm <laughs> then you've got a problem <laughs> uh, thankfully I don't have that too often and most children I meet and most schools I go to the kids are prepared for my visit they know uh, their teachers talk to them about me sometimes they're reading one of my books um sometimes the teachers discussed my books with them um, other times, they some of these kids will actually want to be writers themselves or illustrators. So, you know, honestly, mainly when I go to schools, I am greeted with a classroom of smiling, gorgeous faces. Um, obviously, the smiles diminish as the children get a bit older. And as you go into the world of teens, you get a slightly different group and a slightly <laughs> different vibe in the room, but I actually really like that too because, in a way, they're waiting for you to kind of uh, connect with them. And that's a challenge that I love trying to meet. And I think that typically I will be able to connect with at least some of the kids in the room almost all the time.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And uh, so preparing back a bit, how is it you prepare for your visits then um, for, I guess, yeah, the various age groups as well?
1: Yeah, so it's about knowing who you're presenting to. So that's probably the key thing. So there's a big difference um, in presenting to, say, year four students who are, you know, what, maybe 10 years old to presenting to year 12 ATAR English students who obviously, some, they're men and women, they're 18-year-olds, they're driving, you know. So, and I do both ends of the spectrum and all the things in between. And I think knowing your audience, adjusting your, your demeanour, adjusting your vocabulary and making sure you adjust your content. I mean, that's the most obvious thing. So talk to the young kids about the books that are most appropriate for for them. Talk to the older students about the books that are most appropriate for them, but also things that Are meaningful in their lives at the moment. And I guess by that, I mean, if you are talking to students who are doing their final year exams, um, and in the Australian system, we're talking about ATAR, um, or at least that's the situation in Western Australia, that's the system that they use, you need to actually take, you know, bear that in mind and refer to that and talk to them about what they're going to have to be doing in their exams and try to make what you say relevant to what they will have to do. Because the truth is, They are absolutely single-mindedly focused on their exams. Whether they want to be or not, that is what the entire year is about. So it's really important, I think, to acknowledge that and just say, look, I know you have limited time. Um, Let me talk to you about ideas generation. Let me talk to you about harnessing your creativity. So I try to adjust my material according to students I have in front of me and all of that is about preparing, knowing your audience, knowing what school they go to, whether or not you know how old they are, what they're reading and also asking the teacher who's engaged you, asking the teacher hey is there anything in particular you'd like me to cover or are you happy for me to do an author talk about how I get my ideas for example.
0: So usually the school visits are, would you say they're more about, so you as the author and your books and then you're talking about that or is it more the intent to teach the children how they, you know, they could maybe have a career like that or is all of the above, all that kind of stuffs mixed in? Yeah, it's all of the above.
1: I mean, typically with the primary school students, you'll do what's called an author talk, which is where you're presenting about your writing. But I always try to bring in elements of um, how I came to get my ideas. And I always turn it back onto the kids by saying, these are some of the ways that I've worked. You can maybe consider doing that too. There's no reason why you can't incorporate um, a story that you've heard in the news into a piece of writing, for example, because that's one of the things that I like to, to do. And look, there are some work, some schools or some school gigs where I'm invited to just do a writing workshop with the students. And so that will involve me talking very little about myself, but using my own experiences of having written those six books and having published those six books to help the students understand how they might approach their own creative tasks and their own creative writing, whether it's for pleasure or for school. And so In that context, I will get them to actually undertake a series of writing exercises. I will ask them to share their work. Now, some students don't want to share, but lots and lots of students do want to share. And I'll always give them feedback in that environment. And I'll encourage them to give feedback to each other. And so that's more of a writing group. Than an author talk. And I think, Joe, that my presentations fall into one camp or the other. It's either, you know, author talk or writing workshop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And so, how is it schools come to book you? Do you just, are you found on your website or? Yeah, so I, look, I've got a website. I'm not very good at keeping it super up to date, but
1: it does have my email address on it. It's got a few testimonials from other teachers. I think the main way that people come to know about you is through word of mouth. So a teacher at a school will be talking to another teacher who's a friend of theirs but works at another school and they might say, hey, I had Joe Morell out. I'm talking about indie publishing last week. She was great, really engaged with kids. <laughs> you, should, yeah, you should really consider having a And before you know it, there's an email in your in your intro saying, hey, I spoke to so-and-so at such-and-such a school, and there you go. And then that will feed into another booking and into another booking. And then you'll be asked to do week-long writing residencies, which is where you might be at the school every day for five days, meeting all the classes or you know all the year 7s 8s and 9s that sort of thing so you know it really is a snowball effect i suppose yeah.
0: No, that's fantastic. So, when you first started out, did you actively seek school visits, or and then they've kind of sought you out now that you're established?
1: Yeah, I mean, I what I didn't do was I didn't actively promote myself, I didn't email schools and say hi, I'm Deb Fitzpatrick, I can, I can do visits. I didn't feel very comfortable doing that, but once I started to get a few invitations to schools, I realized that I really, really enjoyed it, and so when schools um, and literature centres and, and places like that, then began to book me regularly, I didn't hesitate to accept. Now, the only time I have tried to promote myself to schools independently is when I'm going out into one of the rural or remote areas in Western Australia or Australia. And I'll say, hey, I'm going to be in, you know, Kananara or Wagga Wagga um, for a week. Um, It might be because I'm traveling with my family or it might be because I'm doing something else, you know, some other thing. Uh, And I'll say, I'm going to be there. Would you like me to pop in and do a session? But to be honest, I haven't had a lot of success with that. And so I haven't really pushed that. I tend to just wait. If people want to book me, I'm probably going to say yes. Yep.
0: (laughs) Yep. That's awesome. Uh, So do you recommend, say, first time authors who kind of don't know where to start? Do you recommend them approaching schools or maybe just starting at their own school to, to get going? Or do you think it's just personal taste? If you're comfortable doing that, do it. If you're not, go with your approach until you're getting better known and get a couple of invitations behind you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like those ideas, Joe. I like both those ideas. I think if you're comfortable going out to a school and some people are more confident than others, then go for it and you're going to learn on the hop. That's how it works. But if you do want um, a sort of a soft landing place and your school, like you've got children who attend a school and they are willing to have you, then yeah, give that a go. But the other thing I would recommend to newly um, published authors is to actually go and watch one or two of their published peers do uh, a presentation. Because I I go and see other people present and it's so great. You get fantastic ideas. You see the different energies that people bring to the stage and different ideas for what actually what they talk about, how they engage with the kids. Um, so you know what? I think you've got a lot to learn from just being there around it. maybe going to a writers' festival and watching other people do their thing.
0: Yeah, it's incredible what's out there these days with um, interactive PowerPoints and props and (laughs) all sorts of things. (laughs) I
1: keep it really simple. I I have a few. I don't do that many props. My goodness, some people are amazing with props.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Swift. (laughs) Yeah. Kylie Howard
1: and her concha. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. That's awesome. Um. So again, first time authors, if they they are going out there, do you have any advice for you know? It's a question everybody asks. Uh, what what someone should charge if they are a first timer or they feel that they don't have a lot of experience? And do you have any advice to to share there? Yeah,
1: I do. You know what, Joe? I think if a school has invited you to go and speak to those students, you should charge them the same rate that the Australian Society of Authors suggests on their website. So the ASA is the peak writing body in Australia, as you know, and uh, it sets and provides and makes, it publishes and makes available for everybody, teachers, writers, everybody to see online, the standard rates of pay in any given year, uh, for writers, illustrators, poets, all the kinds to go out and talk to schools. And there are different rates for if you're presenting virtually or if you're um, doing uh, like a long session, a short session. There are different rates depending on how many students you might have in a room. How much you charge is ultimately up to you, the individual. But I would say that you owe it to yourself to charge the minimum rate of pay and in a way, you owe it to the other writers around you to charge the same rate because um, everyone wants to be able to charge that rate and not have to kind of go lower and justify to be, it. Yeah, the main thing is that you do deserve it. You've been invited by the school. So go with that and feel good about it. The other thing is is that some authors when they get, and presenters when they get quite far along in their career, sometimes they are able to negotiate different rates. And by that I mean higher rates. And that's because maybe they're in great demand and whatnot. And that's completely fine too. So the ASA makes it clear that the rates of pay they put on their website are recommended only. And it is entirely up to you to negotiate your own rates of pay. Mm. So, um, for example... I don't quibble about the number of students in front of me. For me, it doesn't make any difference if I've got 30 students or 200 students. I'm doing the same work. I know some writers who charge more for having more students in front of them, and the ASA does talk about that. That doesn't bother me, but I do have a limit of how many sessions I will do in a day, and for me... Three sessions a day is all I can do without becoming a robot. You yeah. Know, like an automaton. Like I don't even know what I'm talking about after three. So, I, you know, some, some, I was recently asked by a school, a lovely school, to do six sessions in a day. And I was just like, I'm really sorry, but you don't want me to do six sessions. You think you do, you do not want me to do six sessions? So I'll, and we negotiated that I would do four because by then they'd planned quite, you know, closely and I didn't really think I could kind of get them to unravel all their planning. But typically three sessions a day and I think the going rate for the ASA is $660 for three
0: one-hour sessions in the day. Right, yeah, that's one hour. And do you generally, generally with school bookings and things and with the sessions, is it the same school that, is it usually just like a day or a couple of days you're at one school and you're seeing every class in the school or does it just vary sometimes you're at school for a week or different school every session
1: it, depends. So it can really vary it can really vary so like as you know it's just been children's book week um over here and so for example I had three weeks of bookings which was kind of bananas and I was frankly really glad when it was over but having said that I enjoyed every single one of those presentations so some of the presentations were um, all day with a particular library other presentations were one session at a school and then dash over to another school and go and do another two sessions with that school. And then I had a whole week booked at by the city library in Kalgoorlie. So I went to Kalgoorlie and I spent a week there and they took me out to different schools and I did different sessions at different schools all week. But it was one organization that employed me to do all of those things. So look, I think it's a real mix. And I love the variety. Yeah. The, the problem with school visits, Joe, is that you love them and they're good fun and they're so engaging for you and for the kids. But they take you away from your writing. And if you spend too long doing school visits, you might not do the writing that you ought to be doing, which allows you to do the school visits in the first place. <laughs> so you've kind of got to find balance there.
0: Yeah. So is Book Week the busiest time of say children's authors' year, or are school visits generally dotted out throughout the whole
1: year? They are dotted out throughout the whole year. For example, I just did one yesterday and I've got another one next week and I've got them all the way through term four as well. But I would say that children's book week and the term of term three is probably the busiest time of year. There's just a focus on books and writing, you know, which is wonderful in that particular period of time. So we're all heavily pinned then.
0: Yeah, so just slot that out in your schedule. That's not your writing time. That's your fun time. our school does it kind of backwards we've got our book week this week and I think it's because we have like our school open night we had it last night and then they have the library and yeah
1: and and it doesn't matter what it is I just think it's great that schools are willing to take the time when they have a really busy curriculum that they have to manage and deliver to actually focus on books and writing I think it's wonderful
0: yeah no that's great and so so when you go into schools the kind of things that you expect a school to provide for your visits and i guess vice versa what does the school expect that you will bring with you in terms of i guess uh you know you don't use props or anything but i guess you've got powerpoint presentations so usb technology wise
1: right so i say that i'll bring my laptop but I'll also bring my presentation on a USB. In order for the laptop to work, I will also bring with me two different adapters because I have an Apple. So, you know, sometimes Apples work with VGA and sometimes they work with HDMI I don't even know what those (laughs) mean. All I know is it's a different plug that goes into each one. So I make sure I've got the two adapters, my laptop and my presentations on a USB in case they would prefer me to plug it into their smart board or plug it into the teacher's laptop, which for example happened yesterday. I just used my USB. I need to take my power charger. That's something that you must not forget, because if you're using your laptop all day on PowerPoint, it's really going to sap the battery. So don't forget your power charger. I need to take copies of my books to display and to hold and to show the kids if they've never seen my books before, which is often the case. And that's absolutely fine. Sometimes you'll go into schools and they've bought your books and they've been reading your books. And that's wonderful. Obviously, that's ideal. What else do I need to bring? I need to bring all the content. All of that's up to me. Present the content and that's me. So what I ask of the school is to provide a digital projector or some manner by which, method by which I can project my PowerPoint. And PowerPoint makes it sound really boring. Mine are just full of photographs and images, and I make them really fun. They're really, you know, there's a few words up there, but there's lots of sort of things for the kids to look at. And obviously there's book covers and cool websites and cool quotes, inspiring quotes and things. So it's not just boring, you know, accounting PowerPoint, (laughs) vibrant PowerPoint, (laughs) and it's absolutely critical that the school can provide some way for me to project that PowerPoint and the other thing is because I've got two book trailers that I love to show the kids they're about one minute each long but the kids absolutely love them and they're a wonderful way for me to introduce the students to my books and what the books are about because I like to show those I need the school to be able to offer sound with the projection so sometimes I need to bring or provide like a speaker or have some manner by which I the students can hear the audio element of the book trailer so that's really all it is me laptop adapters PowerPoint and the school needs to provide the digital projection, maybe a glass of water, <laughs> and you know, and the kids need to be organized. So the, the teacher needs to know well, is Deb going to be talking or are the students going to be writing? So if the student's going to be writing, then the teacher needs to make sure that the students have chairs and desks, uh, a notebook or a laptop or something like that, whatever they write with and on. They need to have those things. Sometimes you rock up at schools and they've got they've got notebooks, pens and paper, but you have no intention of running a writing workshop and you're actually going to be talking the whole time. You sort of have to say, Oh look, I'm really sorry. We're not actually doing a workshop. We're doing an author talk. And so that's just communication, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. And do you find with your presentations, like the, the you're quite high energy, do you do you purposely go about trying to include humour in there uh, just with kids or um, to inspire as well?
1: I definitely try to make everyone feel really comfortable. I try to make it really casual, but I also have the expectation that the students will listen almost all of the time and if they're chatting it's almost always because they're actually engaged and excited about what they're hearing so that's fine sometimes you need to bring the kids attention back to you and um i've learned a couple of ways um thanks to teachers as to how i can do that and you've got to make that really friendly because little kids they're kids their bodies need to move around you know their minds are really active you don't have those sorts of problems so much with the older students. But sometimes with the older students, they're a bit disengaged. They'll make that really obvious. And so you need to be able to switch that off in your mind and not let it affect the way you present to the other students who are all doing absolutely the right thing uh, and who deserve the very best from you. So I do have an expectation that students will behave really well. And as a result, they almost always
0: do. That's great. So, you've already offered up a plethora of uh, tips for authors, first time authors going into schools and starting out. Is there any other key points you want to offer to uh, first time authors who are starting out in school visits? Is there any other tips you want to provide there? I think the main thing, Joe,
1: is, is really just to say it is a
0: bit daunting at the beginning. And
1: when you've got 60 people in front of you who are staring at you, and then you've got an hour. That's scary, but it gets a lot less scary the more you practice it. It's like any other skill. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. And honestly, now I can walk into a room and feel reasonably confident that I'll be able to deliver a fairly engaging session to most of those kids. The other thing is, is to don't hesitate to talk to the teacher and to engage the teacher in the, actually at the time. So to sort of say to the teacher, hey, if you think of anything that you want me to talk about as I'm going, like if anything sparks an idea in you or something that you want me to chat further about, please just ask me. Like there's no reason why you're, you have to be the only person thinking in the room. You yeah, don't. Yeah. You can really work with the teacher and create a very nice energy there. We don't forget that in a primary school, those students, that teacher is their main adult, so they'll really respond usually very well to to that person. So you can have that. And the other thing that I've learned is a really good thing is to throw it out to the kids, Ask them questions. Ask them questions about what they like to read. Ask them to try to figure out why they like that book or that story or that poem. And those sorts of things can generate some very interesting off the cuff conversations that can be really more useful than some of the other planned material that you have for. So I really, and the other thing about that is it takes the pressure off you if you're then the kids to sort of engage in comment but it also makes them much more engaged much more engaged so you really want to find the balance between them talking and thinking and then you presenting some info and with little kids they're going to have heaps of questions so give them a chance like sometimes it's good just to open up to questions at the beginning just so they can (laughs) and then for other kids you know you can see that they are going to be fine to hang on to their questions till the end And you just say to them, don't worry, there's going to be heaps of time for questions at the end. Other presenters are really good just going with questions dotted throughout the presentation. And that can kind of break things up a bit, which can be nice too. Look, there's lots of tips and tricks. You will watch teachers, I find, to learn some of them. Sometimes kids need to actually get up, stretch, bounce around a bit, you know, have a drink of water. That's fine. Let them do it. They're little kids often. And I don't think you should be taking anything personally. No, and learn from your mistakes. Anytime you do stuff up, like, hey, you know, I'm going to just tweak my presentation and it'll be way better next time.
0: That's great. So obviously just relax, kind of informal, involve the yeah. teacher and the kids. And uh, and it's also, I guess, like you're saying, promoting reading and writing and getting them to think about that in general, maybe not even just back to you, but but to the world of literacy as well. So fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, Joe.
0: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Can you tell us about some of the best moments in school visits history that you've had and some of the worst? Any technical failures you've had to <laughs> spin around? Okay, so best moments I mean
1: sometimes we we'll get kids running up to you afterwards saying, I want you to be my mum oh which is actually good but not good you know
0: oh like, my I gosh.
1: You, you're amazing I love you or I, I love your necklace or whatever <laughs> or um or also I you know like I want to read all of your books now or that's say, a good oh, one <laughs> yeah that sort of thing or I am just going to go home and borrow your book right now or If we're in a library, you'll see kids make a beeline for the book that the library, you know, the library copy of the book. So, those sorts of things are really, really wonderful. And younger kids will make themselves quite vulnerable to you, which I find pretty special. So, that's lovely. And, you know, they'll often come up and give you a hug at the end, which is so nice. Or they'll (laughs) want you to sign their book or their piece of paper. And then you've got 10 kids going, Can you sign mine? Can you sign mine? (laughs) So, that's all pretty cute. And then, of course, there are some. Low lights as well. Like low lights for me will be things like when the tech doesn't work or when the teacher clearly didn't have anything to do with the booking and kind of resents you being there. Oh, that's gosh. really awkward. Yeah. That's not your fault, but that's really awkward. That's where someone else in the school has decided that it's a great idea to have you in but hasn't really got the backing of the teachers or hasn't communicated it very well to the teachers. So you come into a bit of a hostile environment, it's your job just to put that right in the back corner, ignore it, and just do your best job of engaging the students because it's actually all about the students. So tech problems and those sorts of things... I did actually, there was a kid who cried once in one of my sessions. That was pretty bad. Yeah, I think I asked, you know, like we were talking about being homesick and this kid was so homesick for their home country that they kind of, really struggle to talk about it so but those things are kind of good things and bad things you know that they're kind of they show you that the conversation is meaningful which means that you've made an impact and you hope that that's positive impact even if it does upset the person who is in the room you know hopefully it's kind of
0: Oh, gosh, wow. I don't know how I'd go with that. (laughs) No, that's that's amazing. Yeah, oh, goodness me. So you mentioned earlier as well uh, on your website, you've got some testimonials from teachers. So is in the beginning or do you still, do you ask the schools after you visited for feedback or was that just at the beginning you did that or do they send it without?
1: It's really interesting. So I never ask for feedback, but I always make it clear that I'm open to feedback. So positive or negative, I always say anything you'd like me to do differently or you think I could have done better or anything you liked, let me know. But also sometimes when you work for organisations like the Literature Centre or for a library, they will request feedback from the school teachers who are engaged to come to your session. And sometimes those librarians will then send that feedback back to you. And that's really helpful because, you know, you can see the conversation that was happening in a private space um, and it's often very honest and look I've been really lucky to get very positive feedback
0: you've not been lucky you're very good at what you do <laughs> <laughs> being modest <No>, deb <laughs> uh, look I don't know I just think
1: kids are amazing and teachers are usually so grateful for what you anything you can offer and my experience as well joe is that teachers feel really unskilled when it comes to talking about creative writing and a lot of teachers have to teach creative writing and yet they don't feel they've really got any skills to do that. So they take it as personal learning or personal development when you get when they get a writer in the room, you'll see them taking notes so that they can do this stuff with the students later on. You know, they are so grateful often for any tips that you can share with their students. Yeah, so the testimonials I don't specifically request but I always make it clear that I'm open to it. And whenever I send my invoice, which I do at the like that evening or the next day I tend to do that very quickly I always say something like hey I loved meeting your students and staff yesterday there were some really engaged kids in the room I hope they enjoyed it as much as I did as in kind of opening that conversation up for any feedback that might flow good or bad and you have to take it you have to take it um,
0: and Uh, be precious about it Oh, that's great. So you go and do a visit and then you invoice after. You don't invoice before. And then how long do you wait to chase it up?
1: Yeah, so sorry, Joe, for interrupting. I actually no. always invoice after, and that's because I just don't feel right invoicing beforehand. I know there are some organisations that request your invoice beforehand, and that's fine. I'll do that if that's what they actually request. Otherwise, I wait till afterwards. I've done the work. I feel like I've delivered what I said I was going to, and I can make that personal comment as well about really enjoyed it, which I almost always have done. And yeah, that's the way I do it. And look, I have come to realise that. It's very rare that an invoice will actually fall through the cracks. Now, it's more typical that organisations take weeks to pay, and you just have to be able to cop that as well. So some schools, will, usually primary schools pay quite quickly, high schools take a little longer, and libraries can take, you know, like more than a month. And you just have to be okay with that. That's just how it works.
0: Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've had a very busy time of late with your school visits and it's all go, go, go. So, what are you working on now, Dave? What can we expect from you in the future?
1: Uh, well, I do have a couple of projects on the go and I'm really excited, Joe, because next year um, Wild Dingo Press is going to publish um, a book in their Aussie STEM Stars series, which is such a cool series. And some of my friends are published in it. Christy Burns had an amazing book about Fiona Wood published in it. Diane Wolfer has had one of her titles published in it. And my book is about an amazing doctor um, who is from Queensland, and his name is AJ Rane. And my title in the series is all about his incredible life as a medical expert caring for women and babies Uh, so i am really excited about that i believe it's coming out early next year and that'll be really interesting for me as well because that's a different publishing house for, for me and that'll be really exciting
0: Fantastic! Congratulations! That sounds amazing. Can't wait to read that when it comes out. And how about your residency this year?
1: Oh yes, yeah. so I was really luck- lucky this year. I um I applied for a residency with the Mindaaroo Artists Foundation um, to go up and stay in their Pilbara residence, wow. and successful so I'm looking forward that will actually be next year I I got the 2021 residency but I will be taking it in early 2022 Um, because seasonally there are only certain times of the year you can actually go into the Pilbara And have a pleasant time. (laughs) The weather (laughs) is quite intense, is my understanding. So I can't wait. I've got two weeks at the amazing Mindaroo Station, thanks to the Mindaroo Foundation, and I will be focusing that time on working on a book, Uh, a new one for adults, actually. So. It's been a long time in the making. I've been working on it for many years. I've put it to one side. I thought it was too hard. I wasn't sure it was right. And I've come back to it and I, I, I'm quite excited
0: about it. Yeah. No, you feel like now's it's, it's time, knows the time. Yeah, I do.
1: And I've realised that actually you can leave manuscripts for a while thinking that they're duds or that they're too hard for you to write or whatever your thinking is. And that might be true at the time. But you can come back to them and sometimes look at them, you know, from a different perspective and see something else in them or approach them differently, which is what I'm doing with this one, and bring them to life a bit. And then all that writing is not wasted. So I've got 10,000 words already done wow. that I did five years ago on that manuscript before I kind of went, oh, uh, too hard. <laughs> Why <What? laughs> do do this? I'm rubbish, you know, and all yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah, so let's come back. The life for me, which I'm very happy about.
0: Oh, how exciting! But yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that something you've written, you know, in the past, and you leave it, and then you, you know, you've learned so much. And like you said, you go back with fresh eyes and can see it from a perspective. Is is great. Well, thank you so much, Deb, for all of your tips and expertise and advice. That's wonderful. Where can our listeners discover you, your books in store and online? Well, Joe, firstly, I want to say thank you so much for having me. It's been
1: so much fun because you and I never get to chat this much so this is great even though I have done most of the talking if anyone is interested in my books they can go and check um, out my website which is debfitzpatrick.com.au you can also order my books at any of your local bookshops you might need to give them a call just to ask them to get one in or you can get my books at most public libraries in Australia so
0: any of those ways wonderful thanks so much Deb thanks Joe. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.